Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 165 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Friday, March 14th, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. Well, Jace, tell us what we have in store this week. Captains, this week we trek out science fiction becoming science fact with Priority One Science Advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. Then we trek out the latest Stow News and chat about the revamped Mirror Invasion event. Later, we dust off field notes and take a closer look at the Galaxy X reboot and offer some setups that would certainly settle any qualms regarding its power. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses when we cover conventions on location. Captains, don't forget that Priority One Podcast offers more than just podcasts. In her latest Observer's Log entry, Candace Zanzinger breaks stereotypes and gender walls in geek culture. And if you're making plans for a vacation later this year, you're going to want to trek out Elle's latest in-development article to help get a jump start on all the amazing conventions already planned for 2014. Trek out these blogs and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. And lastly, Captains, before we move on with the show, we invite you to keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast, or on Twitter, at STO Priority One. We're hoping that every Sunday evening around 9 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be taking to Twitch.tv for live playthroughs of Star Trek Online, hosted by the cast and crew of Priority One Podcast and the Priority One Fleet. Subscribe to our channel at Twitch.tv slash Priority One. Well, Captains, let's check out how science fiction has become science fact with Priority One Science Advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. I don't know. Then let's check it out. We want to welcome back to the show Dr. Hurt. And thank you, sir, for taking the time to chat some Treknology with us. It is always a pleasure to come and talk about the final frontiers of science with you guys. So there's been a few things coming out uh, down the pipe regarding recent advancements in medical technology. 
uh, things that seem to just jump right off the screen from Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what, uh, what's been happening in science recently? Absolutely. Um, even though I'm an astronomer by trade, I think we're all interested in the magic medical technologies of Star Trek. And it seems like there is a big push to take us a lot closer to that. Just this week, in fact, uh, we ran across an article from a new company called Azoi that is producing a product called Wello, as in getting well, I suppose, that is effectively uh, taking a step towards putting a medical tricorder wrapped around your iPhone or Android device. And uh, it's still in a pre-order state now, but what uh, kind of stood out is that this uh, little wrapper around your phone is going to allow you to measure key vital statistics of your uh, of your current state of health. Your blood pressure, heart rate, respiration, temperature, blood oxygen level. It will actually take an electrocardiogram and even let you uh, monitor lung functions with uh, an attachment on it. Uh, it will connect to your phone via Bluetooth and uh, collect the data there. It's uh, not a bad first step towards a medical tricorder, I think. Can I then take it to my doctor and say, hey, this is what my... Th- these are the, the stats that this device recorded. Are, 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 like, is this something that doctors will take seriously, do you think? That is actually a great question, and I think like any new technology, it's going to take a little while for, one, the technology to mature and be uh, uh, reliable, and two, for the doctors to really, I don't know, I think there's still a lot of, well, if we didn't measure it, it's not a value, but it's still perhaps enough, I think, to give people um, a heads up if there's a, a warning sign. And honestly, I think medical tech seems to be the buzzword in uh, in technology these days. At CES, you know, the infinite discussion of what the uh, what medical functions Apple's uh, you know, iWatch or whatever it is is going to entail. Uh, we're seeing more and more of these uh, biomonitor devices coming in. And in fact, there is a uh, an ongoing challenge, the uh, uh, Qualcomm uh, X Prize Tricorder Challenge, which uh, you know the X Prize is this uh, uh, recurring uh, technology challenge to companies to try to kind of develop technologies that will take us to the uh, next stage of development. And uh, one of the current X Prize challenges is for companies to develop a tricorder, effectively a medical tricorder that would let you non-invasively monitor key uh, vital functions. What's interesting is out of the 31 registered teams on the uh, X Prize site, this particular company isn't even one of the registrants, but clearly is developing a kind of tricorder-like technology on its own, and you know maybe coming first to market uh, ahead of some of these others. Now, how does how does this compare to the the sci-fi fantasy of of the medical tricorders that we've seen on screen? Well, you know, this is of course still looks like it's going to be a rather cursory set of measurements. You know, just very basic things, but things that you, you do measure when you go into a doctor's office. Uh, I guess. Um, Unlike a tricorder, this will require actual physical contact with the device. It, ha- it looks like uh, from the little demo video, and I'm sure we can put the link up on- in the show notes, uh, it looks like there are four different contact points that you have to s- sort of hold around your phone in order to make this work. So it still isn't quite that distance remote sensing thing. And, you know, it's not really probing too much inside your body. and It's not showing you if there's a sprain or a tear or a break. You know, it's not uh, an imaging device of any sort. Of course, uh, one thing I was thinking reading about this, it's, uh, it does seem strange to fold so many of these uh, external technologies into things like a case because, uh, you know, people do have a tendency to 
change phones, you know, and at $200 a pop for a tricorder device like this, you would think that, eh, you know, do you really want to throw out your medical tricorder with your phone next time you upgrade your phone? Or uh, I was thinking maybe this is where the uh, the Star Trek uh, canon uh, medical little spinny doodad thingy would actually be a better tool, because since this device communicates over Bluetooth, that's something that you could use with whatever phone device you happen to be uh, working with at the time, and not be tied to a particular shape or size, or you know, with an Android version, or a Mac, or an iPhone version. So, uh, maybe they have to keep paying a little more attention to what Star Trek did to figure out where they want to go with the technology. Well, what what else do we have? What else do we have going on? Well, the uh, other story that uh, I think uh, you actually ran across uh, a few weeks ago that seemed related, you know, once you've actually diagnosed your illness and uh, you have a problem, you obviously want to go and use Star Trek-level technology to fix it. And there uh, was actually a recent press release from NASA uh, indicating that it's uh, signed a patent release agreement with a company called Grok Technologies to uh, leverage two kind of interesting bits of biotechnology that hopefully will be developed into uh, real medical devices that can help us in the future. Uh, the two technologies that they were describing, one is uh, called bioreplicates, which is essentially um, 3D tissue replication technology where you can build a, a, an actual biological model of a piece of tissue or perhaps an organ that you can use for testing efficacy of treatments and drugs without actually having to injure poor little animals or, or try it out on actual live people until you're sure that it's affecting the tissue the way you want. And the second technology they described uh, was called psionic, which um, is supposed to be a kind of technology enabling medical devices to target musculoskeletal pain and inflammation in humans and animals in a non-invasive way without the use of drugs. So that is, again, starting to sound a little bit like these wonderfully magic devices that uh, Dr. McCoy or Dr. Crusher could wave over a wound and start to uh, stimulate healing internally. So this isn't so much a dermal regenerator that we've so much that we've seen on the screen where you know Dr. Crusher waves a magic wand over Commander Riker's head like for instance in in frame of mind in that wound that he has on his temple but more so a uh, something for testing. Yeah, they well they're actually two different technologies that they were describing this. I think two separate patent agreements that they were entering. And one is for that 3D printing technology to create you know, sample tissue that you could test drugs and, and treatments on in a petri dish rather than you know, in an organism or, or testing an animal. And then the other was this technology for somehow you know, stimulating uh, healing, reducing inflammation, uh, uh, reducing pain in a non-invasive external way. So, yeah, it wouldn't actually be, you know, stitching up cells or a cut, like, you know, goodness, don't we all really wish you could just wave a wand over a big bleeding cut and make it go away. But it sounds like it might be some kind of um, uh, ultrasound technology that would, uh, you know, penetrate tissue. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing here because there wasn't a lot of information in the press release, but uh, things that perhaps could increase the circulation and blood flow to sort of expedite healing uh, rather than actually doing, you know, physically repairing tissue directly. Expedite healing. I'm, yeah, that's, that's, uh, we're not yet at the fact where it's, I'm bleeding here, magic wand, stop bleeding, amazing, no scar. Uh, but, uh, but we're certainly on, on that way and that path, it seems. True, true. I mean, honestly, when you look at most modern medical technology, the 
what it really exists to do is to somehow put two pieces of tissue together and then just let it get healed up on its own. We we doctors really heal us by trying to let our bodies take care of themselves. So this is still very much in that uh, in that vein, but. Uh, Hopefully, I don't know, maybe someday uh, soon we will be moving a little more towards actually being able to build and repair directly. Well, Doctor, thank you so very much for stopping by Priority One this episode and bringing us the latest in advancements in technology and in science. It has been enjoyable as always, and uh, let's just keep looking to uh, bring those technologies of Star Trek into our lives as quickly as we can. Well, let's check out what happened in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, first on the list of STO news this week is the relaunch of the Mirror Invasion event. Now, you may remember the Mirror event from the daily calendar events of days past when you and four other players would defend a Federation starbase from Mirror Universe ships, culminating in the final battle with the ISS Stadi. It was a relatively straightforward mission. Three or four quadrants of baddies, then a big boss at the end. There was even an optional that you could have tried if you wanted to, and that optional was to upload a virus which halted repair efforts of the Terran ships. I don't think anybody ever even did that. <laughs> that was before my time. I don't think so I even knew you could know. do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, this isn't that mission. The whole thing has been completely redone to include new environments, the new Vothil space station, new objectives, and even new voice work from Obisek. More importantly, this event is only available for play for a limited time starting Thursday, March 13th, and ending April 3rd. So if you haven't already played the mission, what can you expect? Well, for starters, you're going to want to put together a solid team of cruisers and science ships, as well as, of course, some DPS tactical escorts. Because without them, it's going to be mighty hard to complete those mission objectives. So cruisers, your job is to charge the satellites. Science ships are tasked with closing the rifts. And tactical captains, your job is to, well, blow things up. Now, anyone can close the rifts and, and charge the satellites, but the interaction time will be significantly lessened if you're in the right ship. So it doesn't matter. You, you can be a tactical captain in a science ship or an engineer in a tactical ship or science ship. What matters is the ship you're in, and that will affect the interact time with the rifts and with the satellites. So, kill ships, close rifts, recharge satellites, all whilst keeping the station healthy. So, Cookie, why don't you tell us a little bit about the rewards? Well, according to Season 8 Dev Blog number 56, once a day, players will be awarded a multi-dimensional transporter for playing this event. By turning in 14 transporters through the reputation system, players will receive 50,000 dilithium ore, 500 fleet marks, 250 marks of your choice, and a unique, very rare duty officer, Mirror Hakiv. Each additional multidimensional transporter can be traded in for an additional 50 fleet marks, 2,000 dilithium ore, 
and 35 marks of your choice through a secondary event reputation project that will become available after the main project is completed. Mirror Universe Hakeeb is a pretty nice reward for science captains as he causes hazard emitters to apply emergency hazard emitters to any friend with less than 50% hull within three kilometers. So have, have you all had the opportunity of playing the mission? Yes. I unfortunately have not yet, so I will have to rely on you. Okay. So, Cookie, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on the mission so far? I, I like it. It's fun. I um, I mean, there has been times where we didn't do so well. It just depends on who you get put with. It really does because I know people are still learning, so I'm really not upset if if we don't get the objectives or whatever. But um, if you do well, you can get like if you do well on the um, the normal. You can get 50 marks of your choice. And if you do bad on the elite, you can get less than that. So it just depends on how you do. Um, the, the time that I did the elite, I got we got 53 marks because we, we missed a lot of stuff. But once we all learn how to do it really well, I think, I think it'll be great. That's what I'm hearing thus far from the community is that the elite is just not worth it. I ran it on normal. Uh, on Thursday afternoon, uh, and it was fun. I liked it. You know, there's a lot of just you know shooting stuff. Tactical officers, or at least you know, uh, tactical oriented ships, really don't do much other than than blow anything up. So if you're looking to power level, then make sure you're doing it in a in an escort. Uh, yeah, in a tactical ship. Don't do it in an engineer, and don't do it in a science you'll get the biggest bang for your buck there in terms of earning skill points. Because you're, all you're doing is destroying the Mirror Universe ships. Oh, so you're getting all the kills, so... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much getting all the kills because you want to keep you want to keep them off of the cruisers and the science ships so that they can interact with the rifts and the satellites faster. But you're essentially, yeah, you're, you're, you're aggroing everything and you're just killing everything. Yeah, I really like that you can choose what kind of marks you want because I have needs. And sometimes I don't like doing the missions that are required <laughs> to get those marks. So I'm going to just rack up a bunch of marks of missions that I don't like to play. Yeah, that's really nice too. I, you know, I, I am not disappointed with the rewards uh, for this mission. And this mission is not unlike the Crystalline event that they did several, I, I want to say now months ago. It's been a while since they... they they had um, put that mission together, um, and you know the the Hakiv, the Mirror Hakiv is like like we met, like Cookie you mentioned is a really nice reward for science captains, uh, especially those that are running hazard emitters. That's that's a fun little toy. Uh, overall, I'm I'm pleased with the mission. the The environment's nice. The it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel too difficult. It does feel a little long, longer than than the original, right? Because when the original, you went in, you, you just plowed the road, and that was it. This does feel a little longer. I, I do remember thinking to myself, wow, this is taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. I think it's really neat flavor-wise to get a mirror Hakeev as a uh, duty officer. Yeah, I want him. I'm excited. Given that depending on your faction, you may have uh, personally executed the prime <laughs> universe Hakeev. <laughs> I'm going to save up all, all for each one that I do, I'm saving up for Romulan marks so that I, when I start my reputation system on my new character, I 
can just fill it up. You don't have to worry about it because Romulan marks are the hardest for me to get. This captain's is definitely a mission where if all you want to do is fly in and blow stuff up, I'm sure you'll be able to team up with somebody in a cruiser and a science ship to take care of the the optionals and the rifts and the satellites so that all you have to do is fly around and blow it up. That's it. That's all you have to do. Yeah, and if you have a team that communicates and decides who's going to do what, that would be nice because um, it can go wrong. And, like, I did a normal just today, and we only got 35 marks, so... You have to go through the tiers, right? So there are waves. It's al- it's almost a little bit like the no-win scenario where there are waves of incoming Mirror Universe ships and you have to go through five levels or, or, or tiers of upgrading the star base so that it gets its it earns its own defenses, right? And, and at the end, it, it gets a phaser lance and it starts just blowing up and blowing things up. Um, so the farther along you get through the tiers, the higher the reward will be at the end. I believe tier five is clearly the max the max level. Gotcha. Yeah, and if the star base dies, that's another bonus right, that's, that yeah. you lose. Yeah. So it's a com. You know what? It's a combination of no win scenario and uh, star base defense. Oh, see, that makes sense. It kind of takes the best of both worlds, I guess, a little bit uh, in terms of of the experience of the mission. So we talked already, and we said that elite really wasn't worth it. The, the bonus rewards you get from running on elite just is not worth the time or nor the effort similar to how we know skiffy feels about the crystalline entity <laughs> which i like doing elite crystalline entity uh, so i do think I. So do I have I. a feeling i'm gonna like doing elite of this also if i can figure out how to get all the bonuses i don't know how much it gives you so it might be worth it to some people and we talked a little bit about how this affects power leveling uh you know in terms of the mirror universe event for the in the olden days of the daily events really only benefited players when there was a uh, a, a bonus, right? So there was a, a bonus hour for something. I mean, here you may not get that, you may not be getting that, but I mean, you're blowing a lot of stuff up and you're getting a lot of skill points for that. So you may not be leveling as fast and. But the reward, it, it balances with those rewards. I mean, 50,000 dilithium, 500 fleet marks, and 250 marks of your choice for 14 days of just carnage and explosion. Well, and you're getting marks of your choice every time, which is huge. And right, something right, that we've talked about before and asked for new ways to get marks for whichever type of mark we want. Right. And that's, uh, that's you can average at about 50, right? 50 times 14. That's 700 marks in addition to the 250 marks of your choice. So 700 marks of your choice plus 250. So that's almost 1,000 marks of your choice for playing this mission in, for 14 days. Elijah, I can't believe you're restraining yourself when we have objectives that relate to different ship types, if not actual captain classes. Ooh, yeah. I noticed that. And I was... I was pleased to see that it's a great first step i am i am excited to see that they are introducing objectives that are class specific now these these objectives in the mirror invasion event are not captain specific right so i don't have to be i don't have to be an engineering captain to recharge the the satellites or a science captain to close the rifts no it, i just have to be in a in a cruiser or a science vessel to do their respective objectives be that as it may it's, it's a nice first step i i kind of wish they would have made it captain specific 
So, yeah, I wish it would have given a, a certain power that the science captain had to trigger in order to close the rift and uh, some cool little uh, interaction, maybe even, heck, maybe even a minigame. But that's that's overdoing it. Ultimately, though, uh, it's it's a nice first step. I would have preferred it requiring the captain of that career to do it instead of it just being the type of ship you're flying. But, you know, beggars beggars can't be choosers. I appreciate that, that it's been done where, you know, you, you will need something specific for a team effort to contribute to a team effort. Uh, I just would like to see a little more hyper-focused, you know, a little more, okay, I need, I need a, an engineering captain in a cruiser to do XYZ. I like it more flexible because then you can learn each thing. You're, you're not just stuck in one job. And with the ship swapping, it's like, it's so easy to just change what, what job you want to do. Hey, that's a really good point. This sort of dovetails with the fact that they're letting a ship swap. And if they went down this road, it encourages uh, captains to have ships of each type instead of just hyper-focusing on a single ship class with their captain. Maybe that's the direction they're going to end up taking a skill revamp. It's going to be, it's going to be more dependent on the ship you fly than it than it is the career you are, uh, which you know it doesn't bother me. I'm I'm I'm, I'm com- I think I'm comfortable with that type of direction. Well, and if if it's space content, that makes sense to me. I could see if it's ground combat, you would want it to be well. You it should be the type of captain you are. That only makes sense. Not just you have a certain bridge officer with you, but if you're in a cruiser, whether your captain's an engineer or not. You know, Kirk wasn't an engineer, but he had Scotty with him, and you wouldn't suggest that he couldn't get engineering feats done with the Enterprise as a cruiser. So I kind of get the idea of it being the ship. The ship is the hero when you're in space. I can dig that. I can dig that. I smell what they're stepping in, and I can. I I don't appreciate the scent, but no, <laughs> uh, I, I I see wh- I see what the the direction it was that they're taking is that it, it offers players a flexibility of 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 doing something else, performing a, a different objective each time they go in, right? So that that goes and and like you said, uh, dovetails to even Steven D'Angelo's, right? It's it's not just about repetitive playing, but replayability, right? The the I can repeat this mission. And have different responsibilities. I can now go into my cruiser and take care of the satellites. Or I can go into my Wells class and, and take care of the rifts. Which isn't bad. I'm, I'm digging it. Captains, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the new Mirror Invasion event? Share your thoughts with us in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our forum post in the official Star Trek online forums. Breaking news. New Earth space dock hits Tribble. That's right, Captains. Just hitting Tribble this Friday, March 14th, is the new, improved, arguably, Earth space dock. Your thoughts. Arguably? <laughs> no, your thoughts. Arguably? What do you, what do you mean, arguably? Why, why arguably? <laughs> well... My immediate reaction on seeing it is that it's gorgeous. It's uh, much less claustrophobic than the current Earth space dock, which I always feel like looking at the mini-map, it's like the old Simon game with the four colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. It's gorgeous. I mean, just the the environment itself, it feels Star Trek. It feels like I am on 
Earth space dock what it would look like, right? Because before the Earth space the Earth space dock that is currently on holodeck are environments that they already had. You know, it, you know, it, I could I can see elements of of other cryptic games in there. Um, sure, there are new ones, but generally because the game had to be popped out quickly, uh, you know that. You saw that in some of the environments, and, and Earth Space Dock being one of them. And now, instead of having to run around, it, everything is much more linear, right? Everything is just cleaner, and, and the the art of the environment itself feels so Star Trek. The curves, the curves of the, I'm sorry, the round edges of of the walls and the railings, it, it, the palette is just it screams Star Trek to me. Did you notice that a lot of it is lit, backlit? I don't know how to expo- how to describe that. Like translucent light, like it was. Like ah. Like the 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 material glowed. Yeah, it glowed. Okay. So there's a lot of things that glow now that are just like emit light from the actual objects and parts of the walls and the table surfaces. I thought that was really cool, and that that is so Star Trek. There's a freaking waterfall in it. There's a waterfall on Earth Space Dock now. How beautifully artistic is that? Now, I have not yet been able to go into Tribble and, tre- and uh, check this out myself, but Low Life Cat uh, was nice enough to record a playthrough on Twitch.tv. So we'll be sure to put that link in the show notes so that you can uh, check it out yourselves and, and, and see the video of his walkthrough of the new Earth Space Dock. Ex- the exterior looks the same, but internally, everything has gotten a, a, a beautiful beautiful retouch um and it's incomplete there's there's some you know there's blocky characters <laughs> practically uh, lego characters lego. yeah yeah they're lego characters they have changing rooms but they need curtains but the, it's so cute the little changing rooms are adorable i really like you don't have to transfer maps to see the internal where the actual ships are docked no, exactly, exactly. Instead of, you know, if you have to go repair your ship, it's, there's no zone change. You're not going to a different area. Everything is just there. And, again, it's, it's, a, it's a linear map. So there's no circles. You don't have to spend 20 minutes just running around in circles to get to your next location. It's all just nice and cleanly laid out, beautiful artwork. Yeah, it just it looks and feels Star Trek to me. It really, really does. Yeah. And the, the way Earth Space Dock is right now, when I land when I get there, I try to think what's the quickest way to get to this spot because it's always kind of far away. Or anything yeah. that I want to get to is kind of far away. And sometimes I cut through the center, sometimes I don't, but it's always kind of a hassle. So this will be really nice. It's some. It's a kind of a place that I think I would like to go. I'd like to hang out. I, I wish our star bases looked like these. This is beautiful. It's just the maps and the textures. They just They feel like a starship environment, you know? There is something I, I want to bring up. Since we've been noticing the quality of life improvements that Steven D'Angelo has been spearheading since taking command of the Star Trek Online ship, why is it that when I go to a social map, for instance, Earth Space Dock or Andoria or New Romulus, that I need to first zone into system space, only then to have to beam down or, or quote-unquote dock? It's an extra step. When I approach Soul System from Sector Space, I really wish I would be given the option to A, beam directly to Earth Space Dock, or B, beam directly to Starfleet Academy. I just, I don't, I can't identify a, a good reason for that extra step. 
unless in the Earth space dock revamp they introduce a, a docking system where you could repair ship damage or, or, or something of that nature. The only thing right now is, is the captain's table, but nobody goes there. What's, a, what's the captain's table? Captain's table is that nebula-looking thing next to Earth space dock. It's, it looks like a rift in space. Yeah, the Enigma Nebula. Right. And it's just a, a another space station for lifetime subscribers. But nobody goes there. There's there's nothing there to do. But it's not just that. It's it's there's nothing to do, other than it being cool that you're in orbit around Earth. There's n- there's really no reason for me to have to go from sector space to then system space to then just go, have to go into Earth space talk, which is ultimately what I need to do. See, and here's my particular confusion around that, because I would understand it. That's just the way it is. You got to drop out a warp come into the system, approach it impulse, and beam over. Except, when you leave Starfleet Academy or the training grounds on Kronos, you do have an option to go directly back to sector space and skip all the intermediary steps. So, how come we can go out all the way to sector, but we can't come in from sector? That's, That's an amazing point. I mean, I... There's no reason for me to have to go into system space, at least in Seoul or, or the social maps. I understand the mechanic for a mission, right? You're playing a mission, and you warp into system space, and you have to defend something, or you have to activate a satellite, or you got to do something. I, I understand that. That makes perfect sense to me. But in the social zones, it, it just it's an, extra, it's an added step that can often be confusing. Cookie, you mentioned to me that it was confusing for you the first time you, you started playing Star Trek Online, right? Didn't know that. When I got into the Sol system, I was supposed to go to Earth space dock, but I, I saw it, and it was there. But it's like, how do I get? I mean, why isn't it? And then I figured out that I had to go forward a little bit. But you kind of have to go forward quite a ways. Well, at least the speed I was at at the time. But yeah, I think I've, now that I'm thinking about it, the only thing I can think of as to the reason why is so that they can display the the beautiful planets that they created. Because otherwise you can't you can't see the planets from the sector space. It's just like a round circle, kind of not very um, detailed. And then when you go in, it's like a beautiful planet that you can see. Maybe that's... I don't know. Well, even that. The scaling. If I... Yeah, yes, that's... It, they were beautiful. There was beautiful art. But that can use a bit of a pass, you know, if, if they have the opportunity. I'm sure it's not top on the list, and it's not something that, that makes me go, oh, I don't want to play this game anymore. Uh, but the, the system maps, the, the planets themselves, probably could use a little pass. They, they, they're, they're starting to feel a little outdated. I just think it's an uneven experience. Some social maps, you warp in, and you immediately have the option to dock. Some, you have an option to communicate with a docking agent, but you can't actually dock until you're closer and they tell you that. Some, you can't communicate with at all until you actually move closer. Deep Space Nine, that's another one. Deep Space Nine. Why why can't I just... First of all, Deep Space Nine is in deep space, right? It doesn't even really... It's not an orbit of Bajor. So why can't I just go into or approach it from sector space? And then, boom, I've beamed down to Deep Space Nine. Sure, other than the missions where you actually need to approach the wormhole or approach the outside of the station, which there's several. So there would still be that time to show off the exterior. Yeah, and why is it that you can beam directly to Starfleet Academy, which is further away, 
but you can't beam directly to the space dock. You have to go closer. I think these are the questions that perplex us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably, I mean, you know, they spent a lot of time creating the the outside of. And it's beautiful. It's. I'm not saying it's not. It's ugly, but you I would just to like to see. Otherwise. Right, you're not going to be able to see the orbit of Earth, and that's really cool, right? The first time you play this game, you you warp in, and oh my gosh, how awesome is that? But after you've been playing the game for like two and a half years, you start to think to yourself. Why am I doing this still? I want to either I just I want to get to Earth space dock. Let me just go straight from sector space to Earth space dock. Uh, you know, since it's not one massive space map, you go from system to sector to zone, just to full on you know uh, galaxy map zone. Uh, so yeah, I would I, if if in this revamp, I hope they put into account. Okay, what can we do in orbit around Earth? That makes sense. For instance, I let me dock my ship and repair it in space. Don't put it on Earth space dock. If I have to repair my ship, I can go into orbit, into one of the docking stations, and just interact with that and let them heal my ship. Don't even, you know, animation, sure, that'd be nice, blah, blah, blah. But no, just let me, all right, I'll, fl- I'll fly up to it, into one of the bays, one of the docks, interact with that, boom, they repair my ship. Or maybe they can make it, like, the closer you get to the system, you start to be able to see all that stuff, and then when you get right up to it, it's just zoomed in, and so that you don't have to have two different... Another entry point. You can just go right up to it, and it's still there, and it's you can still see the artwork and everything. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the idea of, like, one massive map for Star Trek Online. The idea of removing the, the, the zones that make up sector space, system space, and then the greater galaxy sectors. So, Or, I'm sorry, the, the galaxy sector map areas. Um, that would be awesome. That's very much like EVE Online where, you know, it's there. there is no zoning to a sector area. No, you just, you, if you have the capability, you warp to the next planet and you wait a little while. Sure, you may, but it's, it's the same amount of weight that you would have now tra- uh, traveling between Soul System and and Taldewa. You know, it's it's that it would be that same type of weight at, at warp ten or whatever, warp nine or trans warp, whatever it may be. So there's our note for this week for Mister D'Angelo's quality of life changes to Star Trek Online. When I approach Soul System from Sector Space, let me either beam directly to Earth Space Dock or Starfleet Academy, or please add some functionality to the system space around Earth space dock to the orbit of Earth and any other social map. That wraps up STO news for this week. Let's dust off our field notes and address some concerns over the Galaxy X reboot. Let's find out how best to fly that ship, shall we? I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. Welcome back to Field Notes, where we look under the hood of Star Trek Online and bring you strategies, tactics, and analyses. This week, we take a closer look at a somewhat controversial ship, the Fleet Dreadnought Cruiser, also known as the Fleet Galaxy Dreadnought or Fleet Galaxy X. Long awaited, this update to the Sea Store's very first ship has met with mixed reactions from players, including listeners to Priority One. We're going to dig into the details and see whether it lives up to the hype or deserves the criticisms. So what's unique about the Fleet Dreadnought Cruiser? Couple points here. First, the Phaser Lance. 
Now this fires a 10 kilometer beam straight through your target. Uh, it can hit other ships in its path. However, it's known to have issues with accuracy and is not modifiable in that way. With the addition of saucer separation to the Galaxy X, you also have access to a wide beam or shotgun version of the phaser lance, which is engaged whenever the saucer is separated from the star drive. This fires once and is a cone out to five kilometers. My testing with it seems to indicate that it doesn't have the accuracy issue. It seems to just hit whatever's in that cone, but uh, I can't definitively say that yet. At the same time, when saucer separated, the saucer section does also get a mini version of the lance, the two-shot straight beam version. The phaser lance is modified by tactical consoles if you are using phaser energy consoles. So some folks will stick with phasers on this ship in order to maximize the synergy there. It also has a somewhat lengthy cooldown at three minutes. There's no way to reduce that cooldown currently. Nonetheless, it is a very powerful weapon when used at the right times. Second, the Dreadnought can load dual cannons, which means dual cannons and dual heavy cannons. It's the only Federation cruiser able to do so besides the Avenger. Now, generally, dual cannons are going to take a back seat to dual heavy cannons in almost every case. Some may disagree, but it seems that the numbers run in favor of dual heavy cannons. That's a debate for another day. Also, the current state of the game, while this is a nice feature for the Dreadnought, Beams, especially using beam fire at will, seem to dominate the field versus cannons, even with cannon scatter volley. Again, somewhat situational, uh, but I would say combined with the turn rate of the ship, unless you're using saucer separation, and the fact that it does not have uh, Lieutenant Commander tactical seating, means you'd have to make pretty tough choices in order to make this work with cannons. Now, you have access to several special consoles that can be slotted onto the Fleet Dreadnought Cruiser. Saucer separation, antimatter spread, and the cloaking device. So I treat the saucer separation module as a sort of an Uber RCS console with the additional benefit that you gain the saucer section as a pet. It is boosted over a regular saucer of a Galaxy class. It has phaser cannons and the mini lance if you equip the antimatter spread console, the pet also gains the antimatter spread attack. And of course, you get the two piece set bonus of even more turn rate and some durability boosting skills. The cloak, I personally see as something of a novelty item, a bit of a gimmick since it takes a console slot, unlike the integrated battle cloak or Romulan battle cloak that you see on the other factions. But it does have some uses in PvE and PvP. I know I'm especially fond of using it in PvE in Dyson Sphere missions as it makes most of those dailies fairly trivial. Not many of the interacts break you out of a cloak. And finally, it has one hangar slot. It is the only Federation cruiser with a hangar. Now the Federation has an escort carrier, a science carrier in the form of the Vesta, a cruiser that is a carrier, and then the Aatrox or Obelisk which is available through the Fleet Spire, aside from lockbox or low-buy ships. So it's a nice addition in that vein, and I would not underestimate the power of the hangar. The next question is, what roles can the Galaxy Dreadnought 
be expected to play and play well. I relate this to the cruiser commands that the ship has access to. First, it has a tracked fire, right? So it can act as a heavy tank. It has the highest hull rating of any of the comparable cruiser class ships. It has 1.1 shield modifier, which there's very few cruisers higher. The Odyssey is a 1.15, which is minimal difference. It has plentiful engineering seating. It has engineering console slots. A good size crew at 1,000. There are more, many have less. The hangar is versatile as you can use it for things like shield drones or runabouts to hold your enemies in place keep them where you want them while your allies get away. And you do have the ability to slot an attack pattern, for example, attack pattern Delta, which can help, uh, especially when augmented with the correct duty officer in holding threat on you from enemy targets. The other role, which is really what I think the controversy around this ship centers on, is DPS, pure raw damage, right? That's going to be the focus of much of this field notes segment and I relate it to the uh, Weapon Energy Cruiser Command. That's sort of the first hint that it should be expected to be able to take on a DPS role. So I've alluded to this, but how does the Galaxy Dreadnought really compare to other ships against which it can be fairly put side by side? First of all, naturally, one would compare it to the Fleet Exploration Cruiser, the standard Galaxy class, and it has a greater tactical focus. It has the fourth tactical console, instead of a fifth engineering console. It has the universal ensign, which will usually be used for tactical instead of the locked engineering ensign boff seat. In addition, the hangar is a massive potential source of damage output, especially when used with fleet hangar pets such as the obelisk swarmers or the Romulan elite scorpions that you can get through the rep system. Your mileage may vary, but those two are definitely at the top of the heap. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. The ability to mount the cloak, the lance, these are big upgrades over the Exploration Cruiser. Now on the other side of that, some will compare it to the Romulan Dreadnought, the Scimitar, which could be seen as a less favorable comparison. The Scimitar has a commander tactical slot, five forward-facing weapons, five tactical console slots, it has access to frigate pets in the form of the Romulan drones. I personally consider it not a fair comparison for a Federation ship. If anything, the Scimitar has other issues that verge on power creep. It's a very deadly ship, although I would argue quite a bit flimsier than the Galaxy Dreadnought. I wouldn't expect a Federation Dreadnought to be designed around the same philosophy. The most direct comparisons will be between the Galaxy Dreadnought and the Excelsior Tactical Odyssey and the Regent class, or the fleet versions thereof. These are fair trade-offs, and much has been made of the lack of the Lieutenant Commander tactical slot on the Dreadnought Cruiser compared to especially the Regent and the Excelsior though the Odyssey does have universal slotting that can be used in that way. One of the advantages of the Regent, the wide-angle torpedo, could be put onto the Galaxy X. It's not unique, whereas the consoles that can be used on the Galaxy X uh, can't be used on any of these other three ships. That should be taken into consideration. Versus the Excelsior, you have two tactical seats, even if it's not as high a level to Lieutenant Commander. 
This allows you to, to, as a Federation captain, seat an additional Romulan operative trait bridge officer. Again, it's a trade-off. You can't slot a cannon bridge officer ability like rapid fire or cannon scatter volley at the same time as an attack pattern, which is a pretty harsh decision to have to make and one that I think pushes the cruiser more towards using beams. However, you do get something in the exchange. Versus the Odyssey and the Regent, they do have more than one slot available, so that's less of an advantage, but nonetheless, the cruiser has more hull rating, the hangar, and access to the other consoles. I, I'm of the personal opinion that if the Dreadnought, in addition to all its other advantages, had the Lieutenant Commander Tactical Slot or a Lieutenant Commander Universal Slot, as some have suggested, it would verge on overpowered compared to other Federation ships. The next question is, how can I build this ship? So first off, let's start at the top. Do we want to use cannons? Do we want to use beams? I think for the reasons I've already mentioned, I'm going to lean towards beams. I think you can definitely make this ship work well around cannons. It's just going to dovetail you into making some specific choices down the line if you go that route. For for our purposes here today, I'm going to say beams. Cannons, for example, is virtually going to require you to use saucer separation and optionally the antimatter spread to get your turn rate up so you can keep those heavy cannons on target. Whereas separation is optional for beams. I like it, I use it in a lot of situations, but I can also swap it out for another console if I don't feel like using it as beams are gonna give me a much wider angle. Next, you gotta choose your energy type. You've decided if you're gonna use cannons or beams, what kind of cannons or beams? You can use phaser for synergy with the phaser lance, which will then allow you to slot tactical consoles that boost phaser energy damage, and which will boost both your lance and your beams. Or you can go a different route, such as Romulan plasma, antiproton, protonic polaron, high damage output beams, and let the lance take care of itself. I really consider any energy type to be perfectly viable at this point. It's just a matter of if you really want to take it to a min-max level. I like using Protonic Polaron. I just bought a set of them last night when I reached Tier 4 Dyson. And it lets me do sort of a cannon build on my Jem'Hadar ships, as well as a nice high damage swap to my Galaxy X. Switching over to consoles, I use all my tactical consoles for my energy type. If you're very attached to using a torpedo, I would suggest a wide-angle torpedo launcher so you can get that broadside. If you want to use one quantum console, that's fine. I used to do that. I think you'll get the most damage out of sticking to all energy consoles of your chosen energy type, preferably the fleet vulnerability locators to get those critical hits. There's a lot more ways to boost your critical damage than your critical hit chance, and I think this is a great place to pick up a good chunk of critical hit. As far as your BOF seating, it's really going to focus around your tactical slots, right? You have a limited selection of them, so everyone has to count. I use Tactical Team 1, Beam Fire at Will 1, and Attack Pattern Beta 1, and I run in an aux to bat build that basically uh, allows me to run as if I had two copies of each of them by reducing the cooldowns. Alternatively, you can do this by using DOFs such as a con officers, energy weapons officers that can reduce the cooldowns on those same powers. That's a matter of personal preference. Both seem fairly effective from people I've discussed this with who have tested it each way, 
and I would say right now it's up in the air which is going to give you the highest damage output. It's going to be a little bit of a year mileage may vary and, and we'll all test it together. For your engineering seating, this is key and relates to what you chose in the last section. So if you're going to do an aux to bat build, that means you are going to want two copies of auxiliary power to the emergency batteries one. Probably an emergency power to weapons three, emergency power to shields one. That would be sort of the classic style. Fill the rest to taste. I'm running an engineering team, reverse shield polarity, and uh, directed energy modulation. But there's a lot of options here. This is a heavy engineering seated ship. Do what you're most comfortable with to keep yourself alive when you're pulling so much threat from all the damage you're going to do. Trust me. I have been practicing with the ship. I'm still getting used to it and getting killed. So don't let that happen to you. Alternatively, there's what was known on the forums as the dragon build, where you, instead of doing aux to bat to duplicate powers, actually run two copies each of emergency power to weapons, emergency power to shields. The way the cooldowns interact, you can essentially, after a brief startup period, be running both simultaneously all the time for the cost of four of your engineering seats. Another alternative is what has been nicknamed the Drake build on the STO builds subreddit, which uses one of each of your selected emergency power abilities along with damage control officers. Another alternative is what the STO builds subreddit has nicknamed the Drake build, as it is a bit of a leaner dragon, using one copy of each emergency power ability that you desire, along with two or three damage control officers, which have a chance on use to reduce the cooldown of your emergency power ability. From there, the rest of your gear. I'm currently using the Jem'Hadar space set. As I mentioned, I'm using Protonic Polaron, so that gives me a boost to Polaron damage while I work on getting some additional fleet gear. I highly recommend looking for a fleet warp core with the AMP ability mod. That will give you plus to damage for every power setting that you run above 75, which is very easy to do with an aux to bat build and on any build, pretty easy to do with Plasmonic Leech. You can also get it done a couple of other ways, but that's what I would suggest. Beyond that, it's going to be abilities to taste and whether you get a Spire or the Lithium Mine Warp Core. Right now I'm working on getting the Romulan Engine. I want to test out the bonus to attack patterns from that, which could be useful since attack pattern beta is going to reduce damage resistance on your enemies. That will also help increase the damage your hangar pets do. For remaining consoles, I mentioned the Plasmonic Leech. If you have it, that's great. It's pretty expensive on the exchange right now, but well worth it if you feel like throwing down some space bucks. Other than that, any consoles, universals that boost your critical hit and critical damage are great. I also highly recommend using the Kinetic Cutting Beam and the Assimilated Module from Omega Reputation, which will reduce the weapons power drain when you're firing all these beams. I know back in the earlier days of Stowe, you just didn't want to run more than six beams because the power drain was so outrageous, but now we have a lot of tools to mitigate that power drain and keep our damage running at a very high level. And by the way, you do want to keep your weapons power set to 100. 
I've seen builds using shields, auxiliary, or engines set to 50 and the other two at 25. That's personal preference. I'm running my auxiliary power at 50 and the other two at 25, but they all end up being 100 or more when everything is engaged. Hawks to bat, plasmonic leech draining enemy power and feeding it to me. It, it's a well-oiled machine. As far as your actual bridge officers races, space traits are few and far between. I definitely recommend the Romulan operatives available from the embassy so you can get that extra critical hit boost. I picked up a Nausicaan pirate for tier four diplomacy commendation. That's a small damage boost. I have a human with leadership, which gives a small hull heal. Uh, that was nerfed a while back, so it's not really that necessary. And a Saurian with efficient or liberated Borg, if you have one from pre-order, gives you a small boost to power levels. Every little bit helps. Duty officers, I mentioned several options there. If you're running Aux to Bat, you're going to need three very rare purple quality technicians. The rest you can fill to taste. A warp core engineer is excellent because that will also boost your energy levels. I like to use the space warfare specialists, uh, especially the anti-Borg one, since we do a lot of damage parsing in STFs. But there's one for every major opponent race out there pretty much at this point. Alternatively, if you are not using Aux to Bat, you're going to want energy weapons officers, con officers, damage control officers, anything that will get the most out of the bridge officer slotting that you have. And as far as the hangar, I personally see it as a toss-up between scorpions and swarmers. The scorpions give you torpedo hits, which is great. The swarmers give you beam overloads, which is also fantastic. Uh, some folks have reported the swarmers do damage almost equal to frigate pets and since there are no federation frigates currently i went with the swarmers for that reason also the scorpions high yield torpedoes can be shot down they still do a lot of damage though uh, i would say that comes down to personal preference so what can i expect from the fleet dreadnought cruiser any measure of dps is always going to get somebody's feathers ruffled all I can say is I have tested this ship on a limited basis and I have spoken with several others with different builds and it's been as capable as any other cruiser, certainly any other comparable ship. The only thing that seems to dramatically outperform it is the Scimitar and for the reasons previously mentioned I don't really think that's a fair comparison. We'll post in the show notes, links to some damage parsing that we did. I would say take it with a grain of salt. My piloting skill, especially with this new ship, is not what it should be, and it's capable of far more than I actually demonstrated. Uh, this was a parse of infected the conduit on Elite with a group of Reddit Alert members and Priority One members. In any event, as always, your mileage may vary, but it is my firm belief backed up by preliminary testing that this ship is more than capable of any existing content and certainly capable of hitting many higher end damage benchmarks that are popular among some shipbuilders in the community. Ultimately, ship choice and enjoyment comes down to what you want from the game and from the ship. Whether you load the Galax up with all three of the special consoles, phaser weapons, 
torpedoes and you want a more cannon build using some shuttles or runabouts, staying true to the Federation designs that we've seen in the shows and the films. Or if you want to go a more min-maxed DPS route, incorporating the various alien technologies that we have access to in Stowe. I stand by my analysis that the updates to the Galaxy Dreadnought make it a serious contender with other tactically focused cruisers of the Federation. In my opinion, Cryptic has exceeded my expectations in what this reboot would bring to the Gal-X. Now, I will agree that if anything, this breakdown suggests that the classic fleet exploration cruiser may be the underperformer in this whole reboot. But it seems clear that though game balance doesn't require a hardcore tanking ship at this time, that seems to be the role they intend for the Galaxy. Personally, I would take the Galax, which can switch between a heavy tanking role and dishing out the pain. We've received some feedback regarding uh, those origi- those exact comments that the Galaxy X is in fact a great contender and a great reboot of the system. What has been that point of contention in the in the community? I really think that because we were teased for so long about the saucer separation and a lot of people came up with expectations and ideas about what their dream version of the Galaxy Dreadnought would be. The ship we see swoop in and devastate the Negvar on screen with the phaser lance. That it just wasn't going to live up to everybody's idea of that and still meet game balance. I think the most common point of contention is that it should have had a lieutenant commander tactical, which, like I said, I, I think that with everything else they added, that would be overpowered. Some may argue that they weren't interested in the hangar and would have preferred the better boff seating instead. Again, personally, I I think that that would have made it too similar to the other existing tactical ships. To differentiate it, they went down a different route. You can fly the star drive, have a separated saucer, a wing of fighters, the phaser lance. It feels like you're flying an arsenal. It, It does feel to me like a dreadnought. Well, that wraps up Field Notes for this episode. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Captains, let's recap last week's community questions. First being, what are your thoughts on the changes to team abilities? And how do you think this might affect your gameplay? Is it for the better? Is it for the worse? The Grand Nagus writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, and I need to give a shout-out for the Grand Nagus, because I've been in this game since it launched, and I think the first time I ever went to the forums, I saw this guy posting. So, kudos to you, Grand Nagus. Oh, yeah. He's been here since the beginning, and, and, and a listener of the show since the beginning, too. Wow, what an honor. Very cool. He says, I don't currently PvP, and probably never will, until it is completely revamped, like Tony said. Therefore, I say make all the power changes you want until that revamp happens. Cooey posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. By all means, let's get the current PvP system broken and swept. ASAP. It's very unapproachable for new players. Too much min-maxing. Too much stacking of numbers. PvP player numbers are low, but they are vocal. Number creep is bad for games. STO has suffered as a game because of it. Bring on the era of D'Angelo. I I have to agree. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, PvP was certainly introduced to the game. I was always intimidated by it. It didn't matter how many coaches from the PvP boot camp I befriended. It was still a very um, foreign and intimidating 
part of the game for me. Um, I also am not the type that likes PvP. I really don't. I, I don't even like fighter games anymore. I, I, I'm that kid that bashes the keyboard in fighter <laughs> games. Uh, and I, 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 that's what PvP feels like to me a little bit. So I would love to see a revamp to PvP into, into something that uh, is more accessible to casual players, right? To the players that may download a tapped out game on their mobile device. Yeah, I think I would like I think I like PvP when I do it with you guys or people in Priority 1. I don't think I'll ever want to do it with strangers. I just don't think I will ever want to do it with strangers. It's not yeah, it's not competitive with us. You know, we're just fooling around and and that's fun. I can I can dig that. But I would never pug a PvP. I would never go, "Yeah, I'm going to go in and I'm going to go PvP with people." No way. There's there's a, there's not in no, that's just not going to ever happen. The odds of getting a balanced, fun game that way is uh, slim or none. Right. You have to plan PvP, right? You have to set your teams up. Okay, who's going to be? All right, we've got ten people. Let's get this these ten people together, or whatever it may be. What you know that it there's there's too much there's too much involved to have a good PvP match in the game. There's just too much. It's too much planning. Shemrock Ski writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I really enjoyed Trek It Out this episode. There's another fan-made Trek that I have enjoyed and thought others might too. It is Star Trek Aurora. Shemrock Ski gave us a link to auroratrek.com. We'll, have, uh, we'll go ahead and include that in the show notes for this week's episode. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. I have to check it out. Either have I. On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy writes, Excellent episode, everyone. I like this uh, feedback already, by the way. The team's change will change my builds. I typically just take tactical team. I need the shield buff more than I typically need the other stuff from the teams, which is basically, I think, uh, what almost everybody did with tactical team. Yeah. Automatic shield rotation. Bonus damage. How can you go wrong? Now I have all three. I'm just testing them out to see. What was that about rotation? What, what? Well, tactical team gives you automatic uh, shield rotation to whatever facing is currently being fired upon. Right. And it also gives a damage boost. So those two things together, nobody took anything else most of the time. I mean, maybe you'd throw in a engineering team if you were flying like a Excelsior that has that extra engineering slot that you don't really need to put anything in it. Okay. But like uh, Cookie said, now my my Galaxy X right now has all three. You have hazard emitters on your Galaxy. Yes, X? I I currently have hazard emitters and science team two. <laughs> um, I had tr- transfer shield strength two before, but I'm trying it out this way. I like hazard emitters for the social aspect. I like two um, Inception people. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I like. I. I don't think I would ever ever get rid of it because I like to shoot people with it. Are we thinking of the same power? Hazard <laughs> emitters. Yeah, it fires a green beam if you target another player with it. After uh, after we're done, you know, with the PVE and everybody's just sitting there, I like to shoot shoot it at people. Ukami eighty seven writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. I've actually been waiting for them to separate the team powers. Granted, I thought they'd install a mechanic that made the powers a little weaker when using them back-to-back, but I never understood why they were tied together at all. Maybe they can integrate the crew system to the three careers on the ship? Uh, Ukami suggests that maybe instead of just having your total crew count, you have so many crew of each career, 
and they get put on reserve when you use the team ability so you gradually have diminishing returns if you keep trying to rotate using the abilities back to back to back Ooh, okay i can dig that it's a it it would technically be a nerf to the powers but a more subtle one but it would feel like a team. It would feel like, okay, I'm, I'm sending this team out to, to get work done. Right, and presumably they would, after the, after the ability actually ends, well, see, the recharging the crew kind of duplicates the idea of a cooldown on the power. So I don't know exactly how they would balance that, but it's a neat idea. I like it. On the Star Trek online forum post for this episode, Saranser writes, I understand and accept the reasons behind the team power changes. Abilities should have their counters. The only thing I really don't like is that the change adds more ability spamming instead of reducing it. I'm looking forward to seeing what changes this is a precursor to. Chaplin writes via the Star Trek Online forum post, I don't mind team changes. I don't mind the new galaxy ships. I mind people saying, Oh my god, Cryptic is ruining PvP! <laughs> Nobody PvPs, and Cryptic won't cater to them. That being said, what I do mind is the fact that one character cannot keep me busy. I need to have multiple characters. But that is a design decision. It's kind of true. This is this is the first MMO where I've had multiple top-level characters and actually play more than one of them at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I remember in all my MMOs, I've never had... Gosh, man, I don't even know that I've ever even maxed out on any other MMO. No, I did. I did on, on The Matrix Online. Uh, but on Star Trek Online, not only is it easy to level to 50, to get to level 50 quickly, but he has a point that in order to maintain your attention, you have to start relying on, on leveling up a new character, and, and there, there probably should be more added to the game, but we're seeing that slowly but surely. The game, the game is showing no signs of stopping. I'm sure as the game progresses, we're going to all find ourselves sticking with one captain more and more. On the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, Old Kamara writes... Listen to the podcast. Some interesting premises presented. Taking the current ship combat system and scaling some of the differences way back, a lot of the stacking of numbers. Well, some will scream. It's what they do. The PvP community is small, but really phenomenally vocal. One thing I'd like to see is the entire elimination of stacking console and boff or doff trait effects. I always felt that stacking consoles was a big breaking of what may have been originally intended for ship customization. Maybe that'll be the next thing to have a big change done. No way. Do not, do not touch the stacking of consoles. If they did that, oh my god, the the game would implode. It would be too easy. The the community lashback. No, it's just, I mean, just think of it, right? Right now, uh, a captain will, uh, look, I'm, I'm in the gateway right now looking at my ship. I've got four of the tactical vulnerability locator consoles, Mark 12, for anti-protons. I mean, if I had to just run one of those, they wouldn't... Uh, no, there's... No. There, he must mean something else by that about stacking consoles. Like, maybe have diminishing returns on tactical consoles because they're the main ones that don't have diminishing returns, something like that. Because, to, to be fair, if you had diminishing returns on more than, say, like three of the same console, it might encourage throwing in a torpedo console like a quantum console or something like that which 
I, I don't do anymore because I can max out my damage from energy weapons and, and do better overall. Right. It, it would force a little more variety, but uh, gosh, I just spent 200,000 fleet credits to get those four consoles like you did, and that would oh, be yeah. brutal. Yeah, yeah, that's expensive. I could see there's certain boff or doff traits that stacking them is very potent. Like having Romulans being able to have a superior Romulan operative in every slot for a total of almost plus 10 crit chance, which nobody else can really attain. Or some people have issues with the fact that stacking technicians allows aux to bat, even though, I mean, the devs are obviously aware of it. And it's another one of those things that would would cause a lot of rage if it were suddenly taken away. What is it that the technician does? It, uh, it lowers your... It reduces the cooldown time for boff abilities, including itself, or when used with... Uh, Box to bat. So basically, you can double up all your bridge officer abilities with just one copy. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show or submit your responses for this week's community question in the comments section for this episode, on the STO forum post for this episode, or via voicemail at 609 619 0834. This week's community question. What are your thoughts on the new Mirror Universe event? Well, that wraps up episode 165 of Priority One Podcast. Remember, we record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time and 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question this week in the comments section on our site or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. And now you can call us and leave a message. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and find out how. This week's community question is, what are your thoughts of the new Mirror Universe event? Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriority1. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in-game. Just type slash channel underscore join space Priority One if you dare. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers. And we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses when we cover conventions on location. We'd love to see you all at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. It is a good show. Actually, I listened to it. That's because you got a t-shirt. No, I listened to it before I got the t-shirt. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle, and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including this week's audio engineers, Midnight Shadow 7, Eli Jamray, and Skiffy. A big thanks to Priority One's science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, for trekking out the latest science news. 
Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapon. Engage. this guy's name Kui 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 okay Kui <laughs> <laughs> okay that's what the Spanish children scream out Kui 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 Mines you broke cookie it's so funny when you say it oh my god and that's the way the cookie crumbles <laughs> that tamale is mine <laughs> stop Make me hungry. <coughs> There's too much involved to have a good PvP match in the game. There's just too much. It's too much planning and, and premeditated planning. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike that sentence. <laughs> Unlike that sentence. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on.